Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. And what's really important is that we band together, we speak with one voice. And I was like, you sure? Because I've got two kids, I don't want it to ruin your hunt. He's like, yeah, yeah, just come home with me. Just take your time. Like I said, it would have killed a normal man, but I'm not normal, but you know. When you said, why do you want to talk about that? To me, it was kind of like, oh my gosh, there's so many different factors that go into this decision. Enjoy it for what it is. Every moment of it. If, if, if you're only going to shoot one duck. Welcome to the Foul Front Podcast, part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Hey, Foul Front, it's Hannah from Oak Barn Beef. We're giving away a box of steaks, jerky, and more premium beef exclusively for the listeners of the Foul Front. To sign up, head over to foulfront.com and click on the Oak Barn Beef Giveaway tab to enter into this giveaway. Thanks, and we can't wait for you to try our Nebraska-raised and dry-aged premium beef. All right, welcome to the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. And this week, we are talking about hurdles. Alex, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Just uh, took care of a couple of duck hunting projects this past couple of days, put a cargo rack on my boat, and uh, ready to talk about chasing ducks. Scott, there you were sitting in the marsh. Um, this is your first real, I guess, what you'd call real waterfowl season. And you're sitting there. My dad's there. Bryce is there. And you're the most experienced guy uh, amongst the three of you. That's why we're here today, right? Uh, yeah, I guess so. That's a what was going through starting point for it. Yeah, what was going through your mind? Um, you know, you're the only, you're, you're the person that everyone's asking questions to out there. 
the biggest thing that was going through my mind was uh, trying not to get shot because this place that we went to, people just piled into a 40-acre section. Plus, we had a group of private hunters on the other side of the fence. I mean, there was shotgun shells flying everywhere. So, uh, first thing I was thinking was, please don't let one of these people shoot me in the back of the head from behind us. And uh, the next thing behind me was, please don't let myself or one of these people shoot something that is not a teal and then look at me as if I made them do something wrong. (laughs) All right, perfect. All right, so Scott, what are we really doing here? I I said we're going to talk about hurdles. What are we doing here? Um, My motivation for this is to have somebody that's that's hopefully going to do kind of what I did this year where I had been duck hunting a couple of times and I enjoyed it. I wanted to do more of it, but I, I basically looked at it as, oh, I hope somebody invites me to go duck hunting with them this year. And I, I was tired of that. I, I thought I can do this. I can just kind of take in, take in some uh, information, find some places to go and, and get out there myself instead of waiting on somebody else. So my hope is my hope for tonight is to put something out there that gets people to take that next step like I did where they're going from waiting on an invite to wanting to get out there on their own. Yeah. And you know, what we're going to talk about with this is some, the barriers to entry, you know, and like, it sounds like to you, there are some barriers to entry over getting into waterfowl hunting and finally you just got really impatient with them and figured you'd start tackling them on your own. And I think it's really important. And I, um, I put out a thing on the Facebook page for the foul front outdoors asking folks like what are some of the bigger barriers to entrance and we're going to cover some of those tonight and i think it's really important that we put some content out there where listeners can get in that are interested in duck hunting or maybe they're they're new to it that will give them some some tips and tactics to um, getting over some of these barriers because they can be kind of significant and they can be very intimidating if you haven't um, if you haven't especially if you haven't never hunted before and waterfowling in particular you know if you watch the, the shows it can really come off as a complex and uh, a complex sport where knowing where to start is, is really difficult. Yeah. And before we get into the kind of, we broke it down into a couple like large hurdles. Scott, uh, you used to do some hurdling, didn't you? Uh, you and me together, man. That's right. That's right. So who, uh, actually let's ask Alex, who do you think was a better hurdler, me or Scott? I mean, I've never seen Scott in person. Uh, so I'm going to go with Scott. Yeah, Scott's, you know, he's, what are you, 6'2", Scott, 6'1"? I, I am barely six foot tall. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you were looking at us, you would definitely pick me, and you'd be wrong. It was Ben. Yeah, but uh, not in the latter years, you know. Towards the end of high school, I couldn't, I, I couldn't jump over the, the tall hurdles. They kept raising the hurdles each year, and I just stayed the same height, but Scott kept growing, so. I was a cross Oh, right. <sighs> yeah. That's probably enough on that. All right. I don't know how to hunt. Hurdle number one. Mm. Scott, what's your take on I don't know how to hunt? I I mean, obviously, we're going waterfowl specific here. I I take it. Um, But uh, it really really doesn't matter because the reason – actually, let me back this up just a little bit. The reason why I chose specifically to to really dive into waterfowl hunting – and I, I think this is going to go, this is going to kind of resonate with a lot of people. Hopefully I was looking at this as my hunting experience was mostly done on private land, a lot of deer hunting, dove hunting, um, stuff like that with a buddy of mine on his ranch. And I was thinking, I've got kids. I want them to be hunters. I want to do more of this. 
I need to find a way to do this on public land, basically, in order to make this a tradition in my family. And duck hunting, to me, in in our state and where I live in the state, was going to be about the easiest way to do that. So if you don't know anything about hunting, it might might as well start with waterfowl. Sure. Uh, yeah. I would say that the I don't know how to hunt can be solved by the people aspect, right? People are information. And uh, if you can't find a mentor, somebody that's willing to take you out and, you know, show you the ropes frequently for a while, kind of, you want to explain how you and kind of Bryce did it this year? Yeah, certainly. Uh, Specifically the mentor aspect. I mean, it would have been you, except you decided to live in Kansas the last couple of years. So, um, we didn't have a, a person close by that was going to be that mentor for us, which I don't think is a problem. What I did was I just spent a lot of time listening to podcasts like yours. Um, even before that, I just started watching like uh, guys on YouTube, Elliot Snyder and Matt from High Prairie Sportsman, uh, Titus from Mid Valley Mercenaries, guys like that. And just seeing what they're doing, where they're going, uh, what they're looking for when they're trying to find a spot to go to. So, so that helped a lot. Then when I started listening to your podcast, I joined the the Facebook group and I, I just started asking questions. And it, anytime I asked a question, I was getting like five to six guys responding with great information for me. So you can find a mentor in a way that you're, you're maybe not thinking of where the mentor could be the guys you're watching on uh, YouTube or um, the, the person that you're listening to on a podcast. And then finding those those social groups. So I'm hoping that uh, Powderhook will start to really take off more because that's that's going to be a good forum for it too. But just find places where you can talk to somebody and get uh, bounce ideas back and forth off of them. Ask them what they did to get started. And Scott, what's your like? What's your public land situation like up there? I mean, like you know, so I grew up in East Tennessee, and we just have big, big lakes for the most part, big rivers, big lakes, you know. And and to duck hunt, I've kind of always kind of had in my mind's eye that you needed a boat. Like in your mind's eye, what did you need to duck hunt? Like, what's kind of your land look like up there to do that? I thought that I needed a boat, and that's that's part of why I, I bought a boat. Like last year and part of it was i wanted to duck hunt from it but what i really found this year is that i it i I don't need it i mean a lot or a couple of times when i went to the lake this year which we'll talk about later i just ended up going back off a cove in my canoe instead of the boat but i'm i'm pretty lucky in that i'm like an hour and 15 minutes from the rainwater basin in nebraska which is just a huge wetland area and we have a lot of uh, public marshes that are anywhere from i don't know 80 acres to full sections. Wow. Okay. And then as far as like, you know, do you have anybody you're, you're kind of doing this with up there? Or is it just kind of you on a solo effort when you talk about like finding the partner, finding the hunter and then finally getting impatient? Like, do you have anybody else that's kind of in a similar position to you or, or you just truly like solo effort this thing? I, I did a lot of this with uh, Bryce. Who's been on the podcast with me uh, to, to talk with Ben a couple of times. Um, but you know, this summer, Bryce and, I, Bryce and I both graduated with Ben, so we're good friends with him. And I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted in a partner. And I was never really sold on, uh, I've never told him this, he'll end up hearing it, but that's okay. I was never really sold on Bryce being my partner, just because he's he's a good hunter. And uh, he's not afraid of the work or anything like that. But I just didn't know how dedicated he would be to 
waterfowl hunting. He's a big deer hunter and he has a lot of opportunities to go do that because he does the rifle season and the muzzle loading season. But, uh, it ended up being, he was really into it and I didn't have to, you know, keep begging him to come along with me or switch partners or anything. And that was, that was my biggest concern was just finding somebody that would be a consistent person to go along with me. So I, you know, I think this is a great little aside here, you know, when, you know, finding, finding somebody to share outdoor experiences with, particularly ones that can be, you know, have a safety aspect in mind with them, you know, especially hunting. And like you were talking about earlier, you know, the waterfowl, uh, where the shots are coming from and everything else, like finding that partner that you can, one, that's going to be as dedicated with it as you are. And this is a challenge I've had when I moved around is finding people that, um, are interested in doing or is just as passionate, but are also somebody that I don't, I want to sit in a blind with and I feel safe and confident with. And I also know we're going to put in half the work, if you will, you know, and finding the spots or doing the scouting and kind of developing that relationship that makes it fun for everybody where you don't end up with like just the guy that tags along, doesn't bring the burritos and expects to use everyone's spots. You know, so it's, I, I think that's kind of a, you know, a, a really good point to bring up in like, what are you looking for when you look for a partner? Cause I do think sometimes with hunting in particular that you're, you're almost better off doing it by yourself than with doing it with a bad partner. So it's, uh, it, it's interesting. You brought that up. I mean, Ben, do you have any thoughts on that? Like the, the partner or finding partners? I try to think, about, you know, what is a good partner and what's a bad partner. And there, I, I really, it comes down to two, there's two different types of partners, right? There's either like a once or twice deal or there's like a long relationship, you know, yeah. and the once or twice things nice, uh, you know, what do they say friends for reasons, friends for seasons. And then there's like friends for life. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> when I think about that, I kind of do have a several like examples, um, of partners that I don't hunt with them every single weekend. Uh, there are people that I wish I hunted with every single weekend, <clears throat> but I'm on kind of a rotation. Uh, and maybe I'm just kind of a little bit of a, not a lone wolf, but I join different packs, you know, I'll go hunt with a group of friends and then I'll go hunt with another group of friends, but I am excited to kind of get into like, Oh, this is my, you know, my crew. Yeah. I mean, I've got a, I've got a friend of mine here and it's kind of funny. I've been I've been helping out my buddy's guide service, and he actually called me up the other day. I was like, "So you know, hey man, I'd really like to put some time aside. Maybe we could go. Maybe go hunt some because we hunted together so much last year, and we hunted a lot this season. He was kind of like my go to. He was the guy that who I I was borrowing boat rides from. You know, like he had the yeah. boat and I didn't. So you know, that's interesting. And it's interesting, Scott, that you bring that up too. That you know, finding that buddy and 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 that's and it's it's interesting that the guy that you're talking about just kind of falls into that like. And you and you end up learning a lot together, sharing a lot of lessons learned. And I think that that back and forth relationship for that person that you're also at a similar skill level with um, really can push each other to like get better and, and learn new things. Yeah, we had to learn a lot of stuff really quickly if we wanted to have a shot at being successful. So, I mean, it that helped push us to go out, um, you know, keep staying on it and going out any chance that we could because we got we were lucky on. The second hunt that we went out, we were able to get on some birds, and I think we, I think he might have bagged two, and I bagged three. And uh, doing that, it just it, it made it to where we wanted to keep getting after it and stay on it instead of getting kind of defeated and wanting to give up. What's interesting about you know if you're if you're calling this like your first like big season, right? Um, oh, absolutely. 
most people, when they think, oh, well, I want to go hunting more, I need to go find someone more experienced than me. Uh, you were kind of the opposite and you were like, I just need, I want, why did you feel like you needed somebody to go with you? you know, or, or was that, uh, you know, did that help you this season? Like, what was the deal? What, what was the motivation? I, w- I definitely wanted somebody to go with me and I wanted somebody consistently to go with me. Big part of that was I knew that I would be more motivated to go if it was someone else besides me. And the other reason was because then I could look at my wife and be like, hey, Bryce really wants to go hunting this weekend. Can't leave him hanging. I guess I better go with him. So it's clear that she doesn't listen to the podcast since you feel okay with saying that. <laughs> I am certain that she is not going to listen to the podcast. For 14 minutes, 10 seconds in, um, I'm going to clip this out and that's going to be blackmail. <laughs> All right, good to go. That's it, it, you know the 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 partner piece too. Just uh, one last kind of thought from me, anyways. On it, it's uh, you know the motivation factor. It is it is nice like when you know that somebody is going to meet you at the ramp. It keeps you from kind of hitting the snooze button sometimes and staying in. Um, and and then it, what I've also found too is like at the end of the hunt, um, you know my 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 friend PJ and I, PJ Orsi is the guy I hunt with down here a lot, and he. You know, we'll, we'll talk. We'll just we'll sit there and be like, yeah, what did they do today? What did we try this this time? Or we'll go scout. Like, we'll be more motivated to go and look and see what they're doing. We'll compare notes. And and it really, like, helped at least me getting adjusted to South Texas duck hunting. Um, just learn so much faster, you know, when you've got that, that back and forth um, and you're at a similar skill level. So, yeah, I, t- I totally understand the importance of it and, and that partner being kind of at an equal sk- skill level. But just as passionate as you are, you know, like that's, I think the key is they've got to be just as passionate. What makes a good mentor? Who? Good uh, question. She's talking to me or Alex? <laughs> or the crowd. Go ahead, Scott. What do you think? I, it's hard to say because my, my, you know, mentor experience on this season was, uh, well, I'll say, okay, Ben, you did. I, I think I didn't give you enough credit there at the start where I said, I basically said you weren't our mentor, but every time I planned a hunt, I was texting you and I was saying, you know, when's going to be this way, weather's going to be like this, thinking about going here. And then you would look at the aerial. So, I mean, you were, you were mentoring me, um, more than I gave credit to you for originally there, but, uh, now, a good mentor now did you, just did you feel be- a difference? Did you feel a difference as the season went on when you would ask me about a place? Yeah, I started to not really care. I wanted to, I just wanted to talk duck hunting, but I knew what I was going to do regardless of what you said. Yep, exactly. And, and I got a little bit more vague and a little, I, I felt like I was trying to wean you into making like, you know, like to not have to run your plans past me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, it, it was mostly just like, I don't know. I was so on fire. Any, anytime, like it would be Monday, you know, I just hunted either Saturday or Sunday or, or maybe both if I was lucky that weekend and already Monday I was like oh what am I going to do this weekend it's going to be great I know whatever it is it's going to be awesome so I just wanted to talk it through with somebody and uh you know as great as Bryce was to go out and hunt with he just didn't get into the the planning part as much as I did that's half the fun right there I mean I'm the same way I, I've been this whole week like I said I, I've got projects I built Texas rigs last night you know I, I get it you know and it, it's great when you you know I know that feeling I think that's the itch we all get when the season starts and wait like when the season ends 
Uh, we're all going to be like, we're going to take a breather for a little while. We'll probably think about turkeys. And then it's come about, for me, it's about June, July. I start getting antsy. I start getting real antsy uh, for it. So that's awesome. You've, you've got someone up there that does that. Alex, you, you, uh, you kind of broke a taboo thing on the Foul Front Waterfowl podcast. Every time we talk about turkeys, somebody gets, somebody gets mad at us. Oh, well, you know, spoiler alert, they're probably going to get a little upset in the springtime. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. I do have one thing on the mentor thing, Ben. You know, I, uh, I, I actually got a guy in on, uh, I was his mentor of sorts. And I was going to say what I think one of the biggest parts about being an effective mentor or when you're looking for a mentor is, you know, the patience part of it, you know, like being patient with somebody and then how, and when, and that's not just to patient in time. I think that's also patient in letting them try their things with you there, like on your hunt, for example, like you're going with them um, and they've got this idea and maybe in your mind, you've got a different plan or you would do something different and then saying, Hey, I think, you know, but you can't let them know this necessarily, but it's like, Oh yeah, we'll go try your plan. And then make that a lesson. Like if it's successful, you can learn something different potentially. And if it's not for the reasons that were going through your head, utilize that as a teaching moment. And I think that that's something important that, you know, Scott, as you get more experienced in this and you're going to start taking people out on their first hunts, you know, don't forget that, uh, that feeling that you had um, when you were learning and that patience that's going to be required in a way to like, especially if you're with that person, you know, like I was bringing up. So I think that that was probably the biggest thing that I did when I was getting some of my friends new into hunting and taking first timers out that I was very consistently hunting with. Um, and that, you know, so then I was definitely thankful for, um, in my upbringing in different sports. All right. Last thing on mentorship. So Scott, what are some, you know, what are some other things or resources if someone's not looking for a mentor that they can utilize? someone's not looking for a mentor like not a like uh, they can't find one or like they're just really not interested in having somebody like take them out gotcha not a physical uh in the blind with a mentor right get in get get on uh the facebook group or something forums i mean waterfowl forums are huge even though it's 2020 people still use them all the time go online and talk to somebody it doesn't even matter if it's in your state or not i mean there's going to be things that you can take away from somebody in a different flyway because to me and this is what i put alex you talked about when you asked that question on on the facebook group earlier about uh what are those barriers and this one kind of fits in with this first part of our topic here but uh the biggest barrier for me was just having the confidence to go out and do it and it doesn't matter like the person if you have a mentor that's good and is telling you like you can do this you can go out there and you can find them that that's what's going to be the biggest thing. Uh, it doesn't matter what state you're in. You're going to have a place that you that you can get to. Maybe you have to expand your drive time to two and a half, three hours. But if you really want to do it, you're going to find a spot to go. So get online and find somebody that you can talk to. That's just going to help build up your confidence in going out and trying to find ducks. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the Facebook, you know, the Facebook forums, uh, I mean, when I move new places, it's usually one of the first places I, you know, like I know that I'm moving this summer, I've already joined Facebook groups in the area that I'm moving to and have started asking questions. Um, because you know, in a sense, like moving is like almost beginning to waterfowl hunt all over again, despite kind of what, you know, um, and so, yeah, that, like you said, the Facebook groups are huge, um, huge resources and most people on there are very, very helpful. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll add on to that. One other thing is if you notice somebody that's like adding some particularly good information in there, or they're being particularly helpful. It might be useful just to PM them on the side to ask questions. Cause a lot of times you can find yourself like a new hunting partner that way. Um, and that happens. Slide into their DMs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just like you know, send them a message on the side. Say, hey, man, just curious, and ask them some of those questions. And um, and a lot of times, those people that are enthusiastically answering those questions are just as enthusiastic to help out new folks uh, and share that passion they've got. Yeah, it goes back to something that you said, uh, Ben. You were talking about when you started the podcast, and you got asked uh, in a review or something like why do you think you have the skills to run a podcast? And you said, I don't, I just like to talk about duck hunting. If you find the person that's an answering those questions, which we all do, we just want to talk about duck hunting. So if you send somebody a, a, a private message, they're going to be happy to answer that question. Yep. Right. I agree with all the things that you guys just said. All right, Scott, planning is critical um, for, newer folks right and i i think that some at least i know myself there's some mornings where i go yep this is my plan and i made that plan in like five minutes and i went out there you know based off of just a couple of indicators or a, you know one scout or you know somebody telling me oh hey you should go hit up oh yeah well i i know if there's birds in that area i can go here we want to talk about how important it is uh, and and not so you know like not from the excitement factor because we all like planning hunts and whatnot how important it is to sit down and be deliberate when you're when you're just getting into it. Yeah, it's uh, you're you're going to you can go any place and have a great morning and think, oh, you know, whether I shoot a duck or not, this is a great morning. I get to see a nice sunset, spend some time with a buddy or something. But uh, it's it's like you're saying, you're going to increase your chances greatly by doing that planning and. Uh, I take it you want to know kind of what my system was for making yeah. that plan. Do you yeah. want me to go all the way back to preseason? Yeah, let's 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 get to let's get to preseason. Okay. Uh, what I did this year, and it was all this was information that I was getting from other groups, things that I had heard on podcasts, seeing videos, things like that. But it it's totally critical. It's something that you need to do, and you need to do this before the season. Uh, I know that your first season didn't start out that way, but I can imagine it would have been much better if it had. But what I did was I just spent a lot of time on the Nebraska uh, public access Atlas, which I know most States, if not all have an online version of where their public access is. And I just would go through places and I would be like, okay, this is a, this is a wetland produ uh, production area. There's probably going to be water there. This is a WMA in a wet area. And I kind of just looked through and found the places that were marshes, things that, you know, I was I was told this is a good place to look for ducks uh, from everything I'd heard. So I would go through those places and I would just look over the aerials and I just started making a list of this is a place I need to go check out in person. This is a place. And I, I just created this list of places that I was going to scout in person based on what I saw online. What things I was looking what, for was what month was this? June. Yep, that's the edge time. I looked at you. Were, I, I was. I, I think I came home for Fourth of July, and you were. You were like, "Hey, let's go check out one of these." I was like, "What? Why? It's July. I don't care." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you weren't going to be hunting this area regularly, so maybe that's why you didn't care so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I just I, I made a list, and I I knew I wanted to have 
Um, in my mind, not ever. I had duck hunted a few times. I had never duck hunted a marsh before this year. In my mind, from the things I had seen on videos, especially listening to uh, like the MVM podcast sometimes where they are jam-packed in the marshes in California, I was like, I need to have a lot of places in mind because I'm going to go there and it's going to be full of trucks at 1 a.m. And uh, so I was like, I need to have like plans A through Z ready to go. So which was good because it made it to where I, I scouted a ton of places. Um, so I, I just I made this list of places I wanted to go to. I I went through the work of like seeing, oh, if, if I go to this spot, then I can get to this one in 10 minutes. So I was like mapping out my scouting even just to kind of maximize that. And then I, I would be like, this place didn't look great on the aerial, but at least I'll check it out because it's kind of in the area. So I just I just kind of compiled that list and had things that I wanted to check out. And, and I went from there. So that was my first step was getting online and finding these places. Is that about where you guys start to? Yeah, I, um, I, I kind of do the same thing, you know, and the more familiar you get with an area than what it becomes, you know, it's so like for me, I hunted the same place last season and this season. It becomes like, well, I remember this from this season. Um, maybe I'll go look over here and, you know, or I start looking at different angles or what you'll do is you'll start thinking about different aspects. I think as you mature as a hunter, you'll start thinking about, you know, like you're saying, I've got this A to Z if there's people there. Well, the next, the kind of the next step to that is what's my, um, you know, what's my A to Z if the wind comes from a different direction or the weather changes or the water level is different or things of that nature, you know? So it's like, even in the same location, year season to season, you'll start thinking about those different aspects. But that's what I did, you know, it's starting about June, that itch happens. Um, and, uh, I started scouting about July. I, I used bow fishing as an excuse to go, uh, to go scout ducks. And so, we, you know, that's it because a lot of times, you know, bow fishing in shallow water is also where ducks are going to end up hanging up anyway. So I, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's usually where I do too. You know, I start kind of thinking about my plans and then this year, you know, the weather and the wind and the blinds all played a little bit of a part in it. And I hunt public land exclusively down here. So I, I'm like, you I have to be really diligent about having lots of backup options. Scott, what's your plan for next year? It sounds like you have the public land figured out how to hunt it, where to go, what to do. Are you going to try next year to maybe get a little bit more private access going? Uh, outside of, I know a guy that has a lease on a river blind. He had told me that potentially they would have a spot open up. I'm not putting a lot of eggs in that basket, but I mean, that would be something that I would definitely jump on uh, for no other reason than it's very close to town. I could get there like on a Sunday morning and then be back in time for church and make my wife happy. And then the other part of the pip line is I can take my son in there. Uh, he's four years old. So I took him out into a marsh on a canoe once and that didn't go so well, but he's, he's been in a pip line before and that goes okay. So outside of that, um, I know you and I and Bryce have talked about trying to lock something down, but I mean, that's just such a, usually a, either a stroke of luck or a long process. So for next year, I, I don't know. I just, I really enjoy public land hunting. I like being in a place that anybody can get to. And if I'm successful there, that just means more to me than if I was on a private place. Sure. Sure. I, I think, uh, I, I come and go with that all the time. <laughs> you know, I had quite a few, I had quite a few like private access this year and, um, I don't know. There was just something that kept calling me back to public this year. 
And I don't know. I don't know what it was, but uh, we're gonna. I definitely want to get a blind on the river. I don't. I don't do a lot of river hunting, really. I don't. And I, I want. I want that in my life. Well, Ben, especially especially on the plat. Well, Ben, I might have the solution for you because where I'm moving, you you pretty much it's all on a river, the Potomac. So it's, yeah. it's all blinds out there. That's so. That's not what. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <clears throat> all right here in nebraska hey, the biggest drought of the river is the season length you get a longer season yeah exactly or if not longer i mean it's still 60 days it starts later so you go to the marshes earlier in the year and then you get to finish out on the river but anyway it, it, it extends your season so yeah right scott did we ever figure out what those birds were yeah you're jumping around here um no it's haunted me a lot i i can't imagine they were Anything other than a golden eye, but yeah, uh, I, yeah. You, you've Nicole, never seen I, one when, of those. Before, when we get right? to the I, end of the podcast, mm-hmm. I I want to spin. I want to tell that the story of that morning because I don't even think you know all the details of it. But I'm ready to process it emotionally at this point. Well, why do we have to get to the end of the podcast? Let's do it right now. Yeah, I'm I'm all ears over here. We can do it now, but I feel like <sighs> we're jumping out. Okay. Here's what happened. I took my brother-in-law who has never hunted on a duck hunt. And I talked with Ben about this and Ben was like, oh, you're an idiot. Don't take somebody. He, he didn't buy all the licenses or take a gun. Anything. He was going solely as an observer uh, with me. And Ben was like, no, it's a terrible idea because the retention rates fall if they don't hunt. He loved it. He's, he's excited to go turkey hunting in the spring with me. Um, but so I, I took him out there and I was like, I don't want this to be a terrible first experience for him. So um, we, we went to the lake because he could walk in. He didn't need waders. Um, we, we walked along a cove and then I took my canoe and we got there and I took like three wrong turns, even though I've been to this exact part of the lake like nine times before I just wasn't focusing or something. So we got there like 40 minutes after I wanted to, which was already like an hour and a half after I would have normally been there if I was going with Bryce. And so it, uh, I was going to be late. Like I was like, if we really scramble and get set up quickly, I can be in the blind, like at shooting light. Well, I didn't think through the fact that he has no experience with hunting. So like I'm asking him to do things to get the blind ready on the shore. <laughs> and he has no idea what I'm asking. him. So I'm like, yeah, find something that we can set up a blind, you know, uh, branch wise. That's going to hold up this snow fence that I had brushed in. And I, and I know this guy. And so this visual is hilarious for me. Was he messing around the whole time or was he pretty serious about it? <laughs> he's just like you would imagine. Like he's walking around just like picking up sticks and weighing his options of, is this the right one or is this the right one? And both are way off from what I'm asking. <laughs> oh, I'm scrambling right. to throw out decoys. And like I had tied my lines and then hadn't untied them when I hung them. So they were just knotted. Mm. I got two dozen of the four dozen decoys out that I brought. I had some goose silhouettes that I was going to set up along the shore that I never had time to get out. I had stuff like strewn along the shore next to our not well hidden blind. Like there was a canoe just 50 yards from us. There was junk land. There was, you know, a pile of decoys that I kind of threw some sticks over. It was a nightmare, and uh, <laughs> I was I was getting pretty frustrated, but it got to, I don't know, 10 minutes after shooting light, and while I'm setting decoys, 
birds are circling me. They're landing 25 yards from me. So I was like, all right, screw this. We're just, we're getting in the blind and we'll see what happens. And I, I shot two mallards. I don't know. I shot a mallard hen and a mallard drake. With it. The mallard drake came in at, I don't know, five minutes after we sat down. And then the hen came in another 15 minutes after that. But I mean, the whole morning I was getting circled and I had these ducks landing in my decoys that I was not IDing. Um, I'm pretty sure they ended up being goldeneye. There was a green wing teal that I passed on because it came in with what I think was a shoveler. So like my sense talk about of the my, size. You want to talk about my bad mentor moment? Cause I think I was sleeping in that morning and you sent me a text. Uh, do you remember what I said back to you? You're like, Hey, what are these birds? What should I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ben's best response. It, I mean, you were right. I, but uh, what he said was, well, you think it's a duck, right? Shit. <laughs> <laughs> to which I was like, I don't know. I'm a pretty firm believer in uh, you need to know what you're shooting at before you shoot at it. But at the same time, like it, they were ducks. So, I mean, it, it was, was it ducks? not was it duck bad season? advice at the time. <laughs> yes, it was, okay, duck it was duck season. Okay. So if you know the difference between ducks and like, I'll say this. Some people don't know the difference between like ducks and grebes. Mm. Um, so there are like mistakes that happen like that. But if it's a duck, is a duck is a duck. Um, I always tell people, new people, I say, what's your most restrictive uh, restrictive bag limit? Uh, well, it's teal season, so I, I can only shoot teal. Can you identify the difference between a teal and a wood duck or a teal and a big duck? No. Maybe you shouldn't go out then yeah. or let them land. Make sure that you know. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I disagree with the, the first advice, but we'll we'll kind of get to that later, too. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. I mean, I mean what watch I'm, ducks. What I'm saying, too. What I'm saying, oh, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Don't shoot ducks. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, the other thing, too, is, is you know, that's, I, I've probably told this 15 times on this podcast, but if you're new and you haven't heard this, I just look at, I used to look at what the most restrictive bag limit was. Uh, and it was like pintail, I think at the time, um, or a dusky duck. Yeah. So I wouldn't hunt during the dusky duck. And now, and then I would look at the pintail and I say, okay, well, um, I don't, I can't tell the difference. And so I'd shoot a duck and I, oh, that is not a pintail. Sweet. All right. That's a green wing teal. You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and, and I think they call that like splashing, but once if I shot a pintail and I'm like, oh, well, I can only shoot one pintail. I'm done. I just, Okay. I don't get to shoot any more ducks because I can't tell the difference. Yeah. And it does, it does take some time. You know, I, I do a similar technique to you or I, I, you know, for pintails, I look for like, what's the most identifying feature on the most restrictive duck or, or so on and so forth, you know? So it's like, and, and for the most part, a lot of your limited ducks, you know, the ones that have the one or the two, um, there's, there's some feature that you can pick out, you know, from the air, uh, as long as it's not like right at shooting light, that's usually where you start getting a little bit, it can get a little bit, you know, frisky is like right at shooting light and you've got ducks landing in the decoys. Um, I, yeah, I want to say to all like neophyte hunters out there, I'm just going to speak this as to somebody who can now identify birds pretty well. Um, listen, 75% of duck hunters out there on opening morning at shooting light, they just, they're just shooting ducks. They don't know that they're shooting a mallard or a whatever. They're, they're just shooting at ducks, uh, that first volley, you know? And so you don't have to, you don't have to feel terrible about that. As long as you are like making mental notes and learning towards it and setting yourself up with, um, 
you know, rules so that you can't break the law. Yeah. And you're good. Yeah. That's the, you know, like after that first volley at shooting light, um, you know, like I, you know, we'll go pick up ducks cause I don't, I don't have the privilege of hunting with a dog right now. I will pick up the ducks and I'll look at them and see what I've got. And if I've got, you know, if I don't have the pintail, because that's the one, you know, like you can only get one pintail, whether it's Henry Drake and hen pintails can be very difficult to pick out if they're not sprig, you know, you can't really clearly define the sprig mm-hmm. on them. And so, you know, you'll look at them and go, all right, I'm good. You know, and then as the morning goes on, you know, the only time where I think I would probably be extra cautious is after that first volley and it's still low light out. I just shot something, you know, I shot a pintail. Now I'm probably going to be a lot more cautious about what I'm pulling the trigger on. Yeah. Like when you're, when your group of three drops five Susie's in the first volley, it, it turns you off for yeah, a while. Yeah. yeah. You know? um, all right, Scott. Explain your journey in bird identification to this point. Uh, the, f- the first thing that comes to my mind just from, you know, the conversation we're having right now, I will say to new hunters, it's going to go probably quicker than what you're imagining, uh, the bird identification. As soon as you start having birds in your hand and you're like, you, you, you're holding that bird, you can look at it from every angle. You're seeing the color changes in the feathers, especially on Drake's hens is just a lot more difficult, but, uh, I, I was like, man, this whole first year, I'm going to have like no idea what I'm shooting. I'm going to be able to shoot like one duck and that's it. It you'll, you'll pick up on it faster than what you're probably imagining. You will. The other, the other thing I have, I, a lot, you hear a lot of people like people will say, ah, don't shoot hens. You know, a, a dead hen doesn't lay eggs. My thought on that is I don't know more than the, you know, the federal bird regulators that are setting the laws on these things. So I'm going to, if they say it's okay to shoot a hen, I'm probably going to shoot a hen. But I will say that it's a lot easier to ID a drake than a hen. So a lot of times I was trying to shoot a drake as opposed to a hen just because it, I would know what duck I had if it was a drake and not a hen. Oh, man, I've, I've got a thought on the don't shoot hens thing, too. And, and I think that, you know, I think the don't shoot hens argument, um, I, I understand it. Um, and, you know, I'm going to, I'll take a stance here. You know, I think that, I think that don't, I think the don't shoot hens thing is something that it, it's, you'll, you can grow into the more, I'll say the more mature as a hunter is not the, not the right word. The more I think experienced as a hunter, like where you get to the point where it's not about filling a limit or it's not about getting as many ducks as you can, you know, maybe it's about the experience you're out there. And if I walk away with three drakes and that's what I'm going to go for today, then, then I think I, I understand, you know, I'm not going to be the guy that takes the enthusiastic new hunter out there and chastise them for shooting a hen. You know, like you're getting a duck, you're getting someone into the sport. They're going to grow in that. And I don't know, Ben, have you ever heard about like the, the, the stages of growth of a hunter? You know, like the, the first stage is you just want success. You know, like any success is what you're going after. The next stage is about shooting as many as you can shoot. The next stage is about shooting the biggest one you can shoot. And then the final stage where you've really grown as a hunter is, you know, where it's just about the experience as a whole and not what you're necessarily bagging. You know, I think I'll put the the hen shooting in that that latter stage where sometimes that that's where you get past the, hey, I, I, you know, I need to prove to myself I can do it. It's self, it's, it's self-restriction yeah. is what it is. Um, you're, you're, you're refining your experience in a, like, that's like the final stage when you're like tweaking right. your experience. Exactly. So uh, Scott, did, did we finish the story with, uh, with your brother-in-law? Uh, the, basically the, the end, the end of the story was I shot those two mallard drakes. I had a lot of birds working around me 
I was frustrated that I couldn't ID those ones, so I wasn't going to shoot them. And our blind situation was so bad that, like, after, I don't know, 845, I didn't think anything was going to come back into the decoy spread. I was getting circled, but that was about it. And I'm not a pass shooter or a skybuster by any means. So we just packed up at 9 o'clock and headed back home. I was happy with the two ducks, and he had a good time. So I figured, well, let's call it a win and head back. So he's excited for turkey season this year? He's excited for turkey season. And, uh, I, I mean, my my sister is not happy because now he's thinking, oh, I can start buying camo clothes and a shotgun and all these things. And he he blows through hobbies way too quickly. <laughs> Thankfully, hunting hobbies are seasonal, so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's, a, here's the other thing, you know, that kind of brought me back about this. So your first, you know, dedicated season here. How did, how did your wife, how'd she do? Man, there was a lot of, well, I'm not going to tell you, you can't go. (laughs) And I think that she thought that that means that I wouldn't go and I went and I don't regret that. Mm. He'll do the right thing. (laughs) What's right mean? (laughs) Yeah. I look at it as like when we had. I look at it as uh, developing this hunting skill as an investment in the skills that I can teach our our son and our daughter. And uh, maybe that's just how I justify it in my head. I don't know. But uh, that's that's partly how I look at it. So I don't she does not see it that way. Mm. Yeah. Bit, well, you know, that's the other thing, too. Right. Um, when I met my wife, I wasn't really a duck hunter. You know, I was a deer hunter and and she knew deer hunting was kind of like. There was a couple bursts throughout throughout the the season that oh he'd be gone for a day or two or he'd be gone for three days but it was you know few and far between and spread out and she's like hey you know what buddy this whole waterfowl thing you've changed the script <laughs> you're like this is this is a lot of a lot of time and and when you're not hunting them you're scouting for them and when you're not scouting for them you're setting your boat up or whatever it is and um, have you learned any successful coping or relationship maintenance techniques yet? Or is that next season? <laughs> no, I, I did. I, I, I kind of knew I'm going into it. My plan, my hope every day, any, any time that I go out is to be back by noon. Cause if I'm back by noon and then I'm like, Hey, I'm back. I got the kids. You can go shop, do whatever you want to do. Take a nap. I don't care. You know, I, I, I've got the kids the rest of the day and the evening. That helps a lot. Yeah, I do the same thing, except how how tough is that? Oh, it's hard. You know, getting home at noon, you're like, oh, I just want to take a nap. It's hard. It's I, uh, <laughs> so you, you don't you don't pay for it. You don't pay for it in the morning. You pay for it in the afternoon. Oh, yeah. That's when you pay for it. And I, I, I mean, relate. the one's four. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Alex. Oh, no, I was gonna say I can't relate on the on the child front, you know, but my my wife knew like as when we were getting like as we were dating, I mean, when she started dating, like avid outdoors when i told her i was like i live my life in seasons like i live my life in seasons and whenever i move somewhere like i'm doing the local you know like what the local thing to do is and then i'm and then i'm gonna duck hunt you know and it's just and she knows uh, she she said something the other day she was she was looking at the the washington the virginia laws and she goes well i guess i won't plan on seeing you much between here here oh look there's the split maybe we could go do something (laughs) um but it it was just kind of something that 
it was a known going into is like, this is just what it drives me, you know, don't change who I am. So, but anyways, yeah, I don't have the child aspect yet. It, it doesn't matter what okay. it is, you know, it's the, about the child. You just, you got to find a balance somewhere. And I think most people end up doing that. That or you're a dick. And I'm guessing you're probably not a dick. So. <laughs> Scott, what's the, uh, what's the thing that you regret buying most? Thing that I regret buying. You spent money on it. Yep. Uh, part of me wants to say my boat. I love my boat, but part of why I picked the specific boat that I did was uh to do more duck hunting rather than like summer stuff on it. It's a perfect boat for fishing too. It's a twenty foot long John boat. Um, but my son likes to go fast on stuff. You know, his four year old does, and his his idea of fast is. You know, he doesn't want to go 40 miles an hour across the water, but he'd like to go more than 21 miles an hour across the water. So I would have probably picked a different boat after this first season, because even if I needed the boat, I would, after what I did this season, I I hunted from my blind that I built on it once, Mm -hmm. and I would have been better off parking the boat 400 yards away and setting up an A-frame blind on the shore. And the yeah, but have the option when your kid gets old enough. Like you were saying, pit blind, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Cuts cuts my soul that the boat was the the regret. I'm a I'm a boat hunter. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, what, so I, you, you know, do you have an outboard on it? Like, I mean, what's your? Is it an outboard or surface? Yeah, it's or? a it's a fifty horse fifty okay. horse. Uh, it's a side console steer. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I can. So that, I mean, I love my boat, but. I, I probably would have got something that was a little more uh, like a V. I would have probably gotten a V hole with a little bigger motor. Uh, so we well, can uh, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do talk more on the water. We'll talk more when you want to get a duck boat. <laughs> but, um, all right. So that comes back to it. I don't have the stuff to hunt with. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so like we were saying, start small, right? What's the first thing you need to buy? If you've already got the shotgun, if you've already got, um, you know, a hunting jacket, you know, what, what's the first thing you need to buy? Waiters. Unless you're going to be a field hunter. Waiters. But if you're, if you're going to marsh hunt or even lake hunt, uh, waiter, I would say I have pretty strong feelings on the canoe kayak thing. I have a canoe and, uh, you know, Nebraska was, was one of the states that flooded this year. There's a ton of places that had I not had the canoe. Um, I would not have been able to retrieve some ducks, but I'm still going to give waiters the edge just because most years, I think you can, as part of your scouting, if you go out and you know that the, the, the marsh isn't going to get more than four foot deep in any place that you're crossing, then you don't need to be able to float across it. Waiters are fine for going out and retrieving the duck. So I, I would say waiters gets the edge there. Yeah. Just a little side note here. I did do a duck hunt this year where uh, my dad came down and I gave him my waders and uh, I didn't have to, I didn't get out of my kayak one time. And so I was wearing, I was wearing pants. I was wearing rain pants and uh, my muck boots and um, I didn't get out of the kayak. It was just fine. And see, that's why I think they're very close. 
I yeah. think I think the waiters, you know, like if I had to say, I think the waiters get the vote for me. If only like even if it's you know the one you get the access from the shore, you know, like where you can walk, and two, they're just a warm item of clothing. You know, they're, they're just there's something That's that point. You know, like they're just a warm. You know, like, like even if like I, I could tell you right now, like if I was going out on a field hunt and it was going to be bitter cold. I would still probably wear my waders with insulation, like, like layers underneath them because they're windproof and everything else, you know, like they're, um, I think the waders, you know, for me, like you just said that, that I, I concur with you, you know, that's probably the number one thing I'd get specific for waterfowling boot foot, boot foot waders. That's actually what I did field hunting for geese was I wore my waders just cause I knew they'd keep me warm. Yep. What's your decoy spread looking like after year one? Mine's probably different than what I would say most people are going to start out with. I have four dozen floaters, uh, three dozen are, are mallards, and then another I had I bought six blue wings and six green wings, and I bought cheap ones. Don't get me wrong, but I think uh, you know if you going back to the partner thing, if you've got a partner, if each of you buys one dozen mallard floaters for, you can find them anywhere, whether it's online or. Shields, probably Rogers, whatever, whatever place you have close by Academy, you can find a, a box of a dozen for 45 bucks. So, I mean, if you have two dozen floaters, and I heard they're pretty cheap in my garage. That's what Bryce told me. <laughs> that's, yeah, because you keep giving them to them. But, I, uh, uh, I mean, you can. I was going to, oh, sorry about that. I was going to say, like, the, the, yeah, no, I was going to say, like, the decoy thing. Um, you know, like I, I shop for decoys year round, you know, so like when I am, um, like when the season ends here, like Avian X, for example, they have years stamped on the bottom of them because the way they warrant their decoys. So you can just get Avian X decoys, like close out price. And that's how I built my spread. Um, you know, I would go and find them, you know, like marked down 50% where the, the greenhead gear, or the avians were the same price as the Academy ones. And I'd pluck up a couple of them in February or March. I'm always looking for them. I spend a lot of time looking uh, for used decoys, not so much for ducks, but more so for geese, just because I have no goose decoys right now, and they're so much more expensive. But uh, ducks, ducks too. I mean, you're going to be able to find them on yeah, Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace, garage sales. The thing that I like about uh, finding used ducks are like the ones that you gave to Bryce Ben is if you can get them pre-rigged, that saves you a ton of money. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. All right, what do you do? What do you use for motion, Scott? Me for motion, I have a few. Uh, I, I bought like a two pack of teal mojos, and then I have a couple of dove mojos. And uh, I found that those mostly work during teal season and early season. But other than that, I've got a Rippler, and then uh, which just it's a floating decoy, and it's got like an off balance off balance motor that just makes it shake put out some ripples and then uh, you gave Bryce that jerk string, which we never ended up putting to use this year. Yeah. Speaking of, um, you know, bad decisions there. Um, what, what was the worst moment in your waterfowl season this year? Worst moment. I've got to say. It, it, my, my setup on that last duck hunt that I did that I took my brother-in-law. That was the worst moment, which is not a great worst moment, but I can't think of one other than that that really stands out. 
Yeah, so by and large, you'd say it was a uh, pretty happy, pretty go lucky season. Didn't have any like big negatives. No big negatives. We were lucky that we didn't get shot that first day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I, best hunt of the season. Best. <laughs> See, this is why I, I felt weird choosing that one. The best hunt of the season was also that day that everything went wrong. I, I that was the most. That was by far the most ducks that I saw. The most ducks that I saw work into a spread, and the most opportunities that I had to shoot a duck was that last day where everything went wrong on my end, and the birds still wanted to come in. How many birds did you shoot this year? Uh, I totaled that up today. I'm pretty sure I shot twelve ducks. Twelve ducks. It was a good season, right? Oh, absolutely. I think for a first season. I, I told you at the start of the year, I, my goal was to shoot five ducks. Yeah, I, I, you know the it, it really plays into what I was talking about earlier. You know, when you're getting into something, it's the beginning of a sport. You know, you're just looking for success. You know, and that's and that's 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 awesome that you were able to find some success. You know, on your own, it sounds like with some some bedside mentorship from Ben when he's telling you to just shoot ducks. <laughs> but how many times did you get out this season too? Like, how how often were you out in the marsh? Um, four ducks. 11. I've been out goose hunting a few times and that, that hasn't been real successful, but I've been out goose hunting like six or seven times. Um, uh, it's just easier to get to around here, but I, w- I was pretty happy with 11 times for ducks. And, and I mean, did you kind of walk away with something every time, you know, see like you, you know, on the days you got skunked, what, like when you were walking out of the marsh, like what were you telling yourself? Like the days you got skunked, like what kind of brought you going out the next time? The, First, might have been the only time we got skunked in a marsh. The the hunt that Ben started with, where it was me and his dad and Bryce. What I took out of that was it, it was early teal season, and we were surrounded by people, but we still had opportunities at ducks. Never we never fired. There was a couple times where I was I had told I seen him came in and I told Bryce and Jeff Ben's dad to shoot, and they were pretty slow on the trigger, which I don't blame them. What I came out of from that was like when you're first starting out, do not feel the need to take a shot, even if ducks are working in. Specifically, if you're in an early season zone where it's wood ducks, teal, whatever, if you don't feel comfortable with the ID on it, don't feel the need to take the shot because you're still watching birds work. You still got out, you put a spread out, you know, you went through the morning routine and you gained experience that way. So that skunk in the marsh there, that was my takeaway from that. After that, it was pretty much always, uh, we had one hunt where three of us came out of it with two ducks. And it was just, I, I didn't scout the place good enough in the summer. I thought that there was a giant open water hole and there wasn't. It was just covered with, with reeds and it would have been a great duck hunting day. Um, but the place that we went to didn't look like in person what it looked like on the, the aerial maps. So that one was a do better scouting kind of day. Um, other than that... It, it was always kind of the takeaway was um, wind direction set up, uh, better hide. Better hide was always a big takeaway to the point where I got to like, we're just going to make ourselves invisible. <laughs> and we talked about that on the last episode. Like you can always use more brush. Like you're never going to have like, there's never going to be a point in your duck hunting life where you'll be like, man, I wish I had less of this brush around. Um, Absolutely. 
it, it's uh it's 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 interesting too you you know like for me like when i look at where my my success line like what i what i define as success anytime i go out hunting or fishing um i tell my wife every time i w- walk in the door um the answer you know she goes how was your hunt or how was your fishing i, I tell her i i say well we won't starve today or we will starve today and there's not really a number attached to that you know so i kind of i i, I like to put my gauge of success uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean ducks, you know, like if I went out duck hunting, but I could have nabbed a, a fish or something that day, well, the family wouldn't have starved and my morning was at least spent doing what I was going out to do, which is bring something home to eat. Um, and some, t- and some days are better than others. And usually when I walk in the door and she asks how the hunting was, and I've had an exceptionally good day, I says, well, we're not going to starve today and let's invite the family over, <laughs> you know, um, or, or, hey, I guess the cats are going without tonight, you know. But I think that's that's good that you've got that success line kind of drawn for yourself, too. And you're walking away with with something from that day, you know, even if it's not like, like you know, bumper crop of, of ducks. But, you know, that wind or some lesson learned, you know, like, what did I learn today? You know, am I walking away with something I learned? Like, what did I glean out of this experience in the marsh that's going to make me a better hunter next time? When it's, when it's your first year? Just don't set a lot of expectations for yourself. Like I said, I wanted to shoot five ducks. And he, I, I'm going to be honest with you, at the start of the year, I thought that was kind of a lofty goal for myself. Um, but don't go into it with the expectation that you're going to shoot ducks. Go into, the, into it with the expectation that you're going to learn about shooting ducks, especially if you don't have that physical mentor that's joining you on the hunting trip. Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about it too, but. Um, getting back to mentorship, what, how many times did we hunt together this season? Uh, we hunted doves Two? together once and ducks once. Oh yeah. It was, uh, yeah, just, okay. So once really, cause I'm yeah. not going to count that dove hunt. I, you shouldn't. That's <laughs> um, correct. What was, what was the, and maybe not the takeaways, not anything like specific, like, cause we've already talked about that in the past, I think. Um, <clears throat> what's the difference, the, the feeling difference when you go out there and you're not, um, the most experienced person? Oh, it's so relaxing. I was like, it's relaxing. Oh yeah. I was like, if something goes wrong, if we don't shoot a duck, Ben screwed up. <laughs> uh. I didn't screw up. The guy with a, with a, with a duck hunting podcast screwed up. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's funny. When you were jamming a 10 foot canoe into a tiny eight foot sort of a frame blind, I was like, this is eh, not my rodeo. (laughs) Hey, that was a good idea. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, what's funny is, is like, even though I didn't scout that place, you scouted that place. Um, in between us, that was, uh, Oh, this place is in between us. Let's go there. Oh, you'd never, you'd never driven past that place. I had never driven past that place, but that was, that was my favorite marsh to go to. Not because you were there just of the marshes that Bryce and I went to. That was my favorite one. Huh? Yeah, no, I had fun there too. And now, now I'm, I'm going to check that place out. I mean, that's going to be, that'll always be on my little check mark. Now that was a fun hunt, but, um, I, I always, whenever I take, whenever I have new people out, I'm actually way more relaxed with new people because I know that it's actually about the experience that day. When I go out by myself, I feel like sometimes I put 
a little undue pressure. I can, I'll still go out there and just relax and enjoy, but I get a little bit more aggressive um, with like, oh, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to go a little bit farther over there. And I, sometimes I just get a, just get a hankering to kill some birds, I guess. But whenever I have new people out, I'm always like, okay, hey, we just need one duck. We just need one duck, you know? And, um, and then I'm worried about showing them, you know, okay, this is kind of how I call at birds. Um, you know, this is kind of how I set up a, a spread. I won't do anything crazy with the spread because I don't want them to go out and, and pitch some crazy spread every single time because, oh, I went out with Ben one time and that was kind of what he did. <laughs> Using know? your name incorrectly with the <laughs> associated with a shoddy decoy spread. <laughs> sure. I just, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to set anybody up for non-success, but um, I don't know. I have, I have, I feel like I have a lot more fun with new hikers. I, I love going out with new um, folks. Uh, I like just seeing their eyes light up when the duck, went. did I tell you that story? Like I took the, the six-year-old and the 10-year-old out and I gave the six-year-old, it was the 10-year-old's birthday. It was his dad. It was uh, the six-year-old, the 10-year-old and, I, and the six-year-old, uh, he, you know, he was just kind of watching. He, he couldn't really uh, took the gun, but I gave him the teal whistle. And he whistled in one of those, a teal and his big brother shot it. And I was like, that made my whole day. Like that may, I mean, that, that quite possibly could have made my whole season to watch. So, it is exciting. Yeah. All right, Scott, looking back on this season, as we kind of wrap up here, like your little, your ending here, uh, what, at a one out of 10, what would you give this season? Oh, that's that's hard to put a number. I'm gonna say it eight. I had a blast. I I learned a lot. Um, but uh, there's there's some things that I wish I would have done differently. What's your goals for next season? Goal for next season would be to goal for next season is going to be to get out more times than I did this year and go to at least three yeah we'll just say three different marshes okay cool alex what do you have for anybody uh, as we kind of exit out of this this episode anybody that's listening to that saying okay hey you know i listened on here what kind of my hurdles were i heard a, a new hunter and how he attacked his season what do you I, got? I would say, you know, starting off with, you know, start off you know, if it's something you know you want to do and it's, it's, it starts getting, it's never really too early to get into it. You know, like you right now we're kind of wrapping up on the end of the season, but it's still not early to kind of think about how you want to get into it and start asking the questions. You know, Facebook doesn't have a season. The groups don't have a season. Get on the foul front uh, podcasts, Facebook group, get on, you know, others, all things, waterfowls, one, two. And start looking at resources and asking questions. Be inquisitive. Ask questions. You know, don't sit in your house and, and think that you're kind of on your own with this. Um, those barriers can be intimidating, but a lot of those can be broken down very quickly, um, at least with some good advice. And you'll probably find yourself a, a good hunting partner, too, um, via those those Facebook groups, especially if you can find one that's local, like the DU chapters. A lot of the DU chapters have local Facebook groups that are good resources, too, where people will uh, be more than happy to talk tips. Uh, just as a matter of etiquette, don't get on a Facebook group and ask for us. You probably won't get one. And that, that'll be very difficult. You know, ask for general advice and, and definitely 
uh, try to, you know, demonstrate that you want to be an independent duck hunter. Other than that, you know, look for on sale gear. You look for, um, go to the Facebook marketplace. You know, I would say if I had to pick things, uh, waders would be, you know, aside from a shotgun, waders would be the most essential waterfowl specific hunting gear. And then like Ben and I talked about in the concealment episode, your deer hunting camouflage will suffice for your first season of duck hunting for the most part. Like you don't have to go out and buy the real tree max five wetland marsh, uh, or the Sitka optifade to go out and shoot ducks. Um, and then after that, you know, so keep your eye out for that gear in the off season, you know, be, be a year round duck hunter. And that can also mean like, uh, you're, you're at Dick sporting goods, it's may, and they've got a couple of calls on sale grab one of them and watch YouTube videos, practice calling in the off season. That's a good way to distract yourself too. And then I like to do projects. So build myself a panel blind, think about how I'm going to use it. Look for reed fencing. There's a, another Facebook group out there. I really like called DIY waterfowl that has lots of budget friendly ways to do things that could seem immensely complex, building blinds, building panel blinds. Like I heard Scott mentioned like his snow fence, you know, that it's probably some sort of panel blind, you know, get enthused about it. Uh, that way too in the off season i built my duck boat this past off season yeah that i just recently sold you know but um do those kinds of things and then you know keep your eye out for it build yourself a small collection of gear don't go too crazy um and then and then after that as the season starts getting closer try to nail down you know go out and scout look for look for places uh utilize some of those apps on those episodes that we've talked about before to look for places and and do your digital scouting and then early teal season get out there and hit it you know like go into the season kind of with a plan of where you want to go and 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 then just like scott did just go do it you know just go out in the marsh get your gear be safe um and and go out and do it i'd say that's what i'd leave them with ben that'd be my my one two three approach scott taking all the quote unquote book knowledge that you can. Uh, big thing is going to be uh, how to find a spot, what to do when you're there, uh, etiquette around other hunters that don't set yourself up to, to be in a position where you're going to create a bad experience for yourself. Uh, there are some duck hunters that are not real friendly. Don't one, don't be like them. And two, don't, uh, you know, if you're, if you're in a, in a spot, and you're doing what you've been told to do from your mentors, people on groups, things like that. Be confident in what you're doing. Don't be so worried about those negative experiences, which I, I never had. Um, but I, I know people that have kind of horror stories. But get that knowledge base from podcasts, books, uh, forums, Facebook groups, things like that. That'll that'll build your confidence where you can go out and do it. And then find somebody to go out and, and partner with, whether it's an experienced mentor or somebody that just wants to go out and try it out like you. And, and Ben, I got one more thing here. And here's another, here's another thing. If you can afford it and it's within your means, get a guided hunt, you know, particularly local, you know, and Ben and I have had some discussions about it, but I, I think if, if you're learning something, you know, yeah, you know, get a guided hunt, get someone else that's enthused about it and, and, and go with a guide and see how they do things, you know, and, and ask questions. I, uh, I actually look at guided hunts, especially when I move to a new area. I don't look at it as I'm paying $250 to go just shoot ducks. I, I actually look at it as a $250 lesson in duck hunting. 
And I treat that guide like a teacher, at least in my mind, I'm asking the kinds of questions. And uh, a lot of times when I book that hunt, I will ask for somebody that's willing to, to guide or ask, Hey, will you let me call? Will you give me the feedback? And I'll be open-minded about it and I'll learn from it. And I think that's also something that if you can, if you can swing it and it's within your budget, or if you thinking about it early enough, put it in your budget uh, and do it early season uh, and, and, and take full advantage of what you would hope to be if it was a pretty experienced hunter. I was going to say, make sure you find the right guide on that one because a lot of absolutely, guys just, absolutely. Oh, you shot ducks, didn't you? And it won't explain. Yeah, no, do do that. All right, I'm going to say this: uh, the takeaways that you should probably take away from this is that you know I was a better hurdler than Scott in high school, um, and that the the second best hunt that Scott had this season was with me, and um, uh. I could not help Scott identify a uh, a bird via cell phone while I was laying in bed. All right, was that the, was that a good wrap up, Scott? I think you pretty much nailed it. You were wrong about everything you said. All right. Other than that, yeah, it was, it was good. It's good. Now, see, that was the like the intent, right? You know. All right. Well, folks, until next week, um, actually, next week's going to be kind of an interesting episode. I don't want to tell you what it is. I don't want to tell you what it is. I do want to kind of tease it a little bit, but it is a first, a very first in the uh, the Foul Front Waterfowl podcast, uh, you know, format or, or history of the show. We're coming up on two years and this has never happened and I'm super excited for it. So tune in next Monday um, and uh, we will see you then. Tune in next Monday um, and uh, we will see you then. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, We also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next or you can tell us uh, what you don't like and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners so all right stay safe out there and we will see you next week they are any one of these casts could be the bite it's the most exciting fishing that i know right here at hawks cave oh that's awesome experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer don't miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment 
A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.